The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. And with me are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network. They are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the world. And joining us is my supposed vocal doppelganger, <laughs> Mike Taglier, a football writer, analyst, and podcaster for Fantasy Pros, where he has twice been a top six ranker tags thanks for joining us how's it going oh thanks for having me i mean i'm just happy to be compared to have a voice of an angel to be combined with raybon and corner here two of the best rankers in the business i mean it's a good time to be on the show it's good to have you i'm gonna be honest sean ranking of one to ten ten being highly similar one being uh not similar at all how similar uh are tags and i six uh nobody should be confused but i get the comparison but you guys have very distinct uh voices in my opinion uh raybon where are you ranking this yeah i'd go about a five and a half i think this is more like a edelman welker comparison where it's it's based on one thing and not really too legit (laughs) okay well we are off to a flying start uh just what i wanted we recently had evan silva ian harditz denny carter and matt Harmon on the show to talk about fantasy quarterbacks tight ends and the top 12 wide receivers by average draft position great episodes check them out in this episode We were talking with Mike about his fantasy approach to the wide receiver position, and we're getting his thoughts on the wide receivers outside the top 12. If you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating, leave a review. We would appreciate it. Gentlemen, let's get into it. Tags, I want to get your thoughts on how to approach the wide receiver position for 2020. Uh, I mean, in a general year, you might have your own kind of specific philosophy about how you like to approach the wide receiver position. But this season is unlike any other that we've seen. I'm wondering if that changes at all your approach. You know, it's really weird. It's one of those things where I, I, I don't want to say it's changed a whole lot, but it probably should. Uh, and I say that because wide receiver uh, is, is a possession that's, that's irreplaceable. Like if Julio Jones comes out of the lineup, Laquan Treadwell is not going to walk in and get 11 targets like Julio Jones would. I've never been a zero running back advocate, but if there's one year that it could work, it's probably this one because we're going to have guys scratched on game day because they're going to show up at the stadium. They're going to have 101 temperature because people play through sicknesses sometimes and they're going to be sent home. And then all of a sudden, one of those running backs that you're able to grab or one that you have on your bench is going to have sudden like immediate startability wide receivers don't have that that comfort now granted there are probably 40 50 wide receivers that we could feel comfortable starting in most 12-man leagues but at the same time it's hard to find those guys that are consistently getting 9 10 11 12 targets per game so I haven't changed my strategy but I'm I'm sounding like a bit of a hypocrite here but I probably should I, I I probably should be adjusting but I think a lot of it comes down to where you're drafting like if you're drafting uh late in the first round 
if you, if you get a Devontae Adams late in the first round, you should be jumping for joy. Uh, if you get a Julio Jones, like those guys, uh, early second, jump for joy because those guys are just so consistent. Uh, you want them in your lineup all the time. And again, they're irreplaceable. You can't find a guy like that on waiver wires, even if there is an injury ahead of them on the depth chart. So yeah, I don't ever go in with a set strategy, but this year it probably should be, if you're torn between a running back and a wide receiver, you might want to lean wide receiver. Hey, Tags, last episode, we had Matt Harmon on. We talked about the top 12 wide receivers. You just mentioned Julio Jones. That was a guy that, um, you know, this group as a whole, I think, was pretty high on. Who is your favorite uh, out of the guys going in the top 12? I mean, I, I mean, it'd be impossible not to say, you know, Thomas or Devontae Adams, but I think Julio, in terms of value where you get the guys, I think Julio is the guy. Uh, and I say that because – I mean, the guy over the course of his career, like I do this series and I, it's funny, I'm releasing these pieces like right now, uh, it's called boom bust and everything in between. And uh, every year, wide receiver numbers vary, right? Like a wide receiver one performance on average would, you know, it would be 18 points one year. It would be 19.2 another year. It, it all varies. But Julio Jones has posted wide receiver one type numbers in 42.4% of his career games. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, just by comparison, the only two wide receivers who, who hit 40% last year, like last year alone, were Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams. Uh, so Julio Jones has shown year over year that he's just super consistent. Uh, and obviously having Calvin Ridley there, Teams can't just tilt coverages. You can't leave Calvin Ridley one-on-one all the time because he'll eat you up too. So uh, Julio Jones, basically, it's just – I don't know why people fade Julio Jones. Who's the one receiver that you've gotten the most so far in your drafts, and why is it Calvin Ridley? <laughs> Calvin Ridley, I have a lot. Uh, but, but then again, it also comes down to where you're drafting, right? Like Because mm-hmm. if I'm drafting uh, – let's say I have a pick in the first three, I'm not going to take Calvin Ridley at the top of the third round where you know I won't have him there. So the answer to this one, I mean, I, I'm going to have a lot of Calvin Ridley, but but the answer to this one is find someone that loves AJ so that loves that loves you as much as I love AJ Green. Uh, AJ Green is the guy I'm going to have, and and I understand that he comes with some injury concerns, but that's really baked into his cost. He's another guy that just over the course of his career, I don't want to look at a small sample size and be like, oh, I'm not I'm not I'm not touching him. He's been injured. I mean, we could talk about Dalvin Cook for the first two years of his career, basically didn't get on the field, and now all of a sudden he's a surefire top five pick. If he missed time, it was like, oh, we should have knew he was injury prone. No, you can't predict injuries. A.J. Green had a year off. He's playing on a, on a franchise tag. He wants to get another contract. He's one of the best players in football. And he, he came in the league at the same time as Julio Jones. So it's not like we can say, like, he's old and, you know, he's going to fall apart. So A.J. Green is the one I've owned the most of. Tags, uh, I'm, I'm looking at my own projections for A.J. Green. And I, uh, I always look at it and feel as if I'm, I'm way too high on him. And, you know, maybe there's a, kind of a, a difference between looking at the, the – for me, the median – projection with him uh versus like the downside risk that uh i think he might carry but uh i'm I'm with you there on aj green uh as someone who's probably going uh, a little undervalued in fantasy drafts now who is the you know looking at the flip uh the flip side of this coin who's the one wide receiver that you are kind of most anxious to stay away from the guy you just want no part of well i mean based on where he's being drafted tyreek hill um and I know that sounds bad because I, a lot of people, I posted a poll on Twitter just recently and I haven't looked at the results because I've been like recording stuff, but the poll was, do you think, do you believe that Amari Cooper should be rostered as a wide receiver one in fantasy football? So 34% are saying absolutely not. And then 43% are saying, oh, I could potentially see it, but I don't want to believe it. Right. If you were to put the numbers in terms of a game by game basis up with uh, uh, Amari Cooper and Tyreek Hill, it's hard to tell the difference. Uh, granted, Tyreek might have some bigger booms in there, um, and but Amari's booms are pretty big too. Uh, these guys are been a bit of volatile, like they're volatile receivers. And I, I don't not want to own Tyreek Hill, but I am not going to pay a borderline first round pick uh, for 
first round price for him. You know, going back to that Julio Jones conversation, he's posted wide receiver one numbers 42.4% of the time. Tyreek Hill in his career has been a wide receiver two or better just 44% of the time. So yes, you're getting massive spikes in production when Tyreek Hill kind of goes off with Patrick Mahomes and it takes that one play, but I would much rather take some consistency and like Julio Jones should be going before Tyreek Hill like every day of the week. And it's not really all that close for me. Not disagree more. Tyreek Hill is my number two receiver. I think Tyreek Hill should be drafted above everyone, but Michael Thomas, because you have the, you, you're, you have the wide receiver one workload. You have the best quarterback in the league. And you look at Tyreek Hill's game logs and like, again, like you mentioned, the cutoffs for wide receiver one in, in years, you know, in different years are different. Yeah. But last year, for example, Tyreek Hill had three games, um, you know, including the playoffs. So he played in, in, in 15 uh, total games, including the playoffs. He had three games with uh, single digit PPR points and, uh, one of them was a game where he got hurt early. And so really it's two games. You look at the year before uh, and the chiefs also made a deep postseason run. He played 18 total games, three, uh, four games, but with single digit PPR points. So it's like, I, I feel like he does have that consistent floor. Maybe it's like not quite hitting that wide receiver one cutoff each and every week, but we're talking about like 40 something percent for, for the top guy. Like, and then you look at Tyree kills where he's finished for, you know, every year of his career, he's up there in that, in that top 10. So in terms of points per game. So I don't, I think Tyreek Hill, like he has a similar floor to these other guys. Maybe, maybe like the, the worst game is a little uglier or the worst one or two games, but the ceiling because of Mahomes and because of his talent and because he can actually, you know, break a, a 90 yard gain and still catch like eight balls in a game. He's not just like a Deshaun Jackson. I think he should be the number two receiver. He's, so. he's fun to own. I'll, I'll give you that. He's fun. But I mean, 7.4 targets per game last year. That's, that's the exact same as Amari Cooper. So it's like a 118 target pace over 16 games. And can he get more? Sure. And is he crazy efficient? Yes. But and you're right about that number. So basically he had 14.1 or less PPR points in over half of his games. So it's like he had a lot of games in between 10 and 14 points there, which, which is why he kind of missed that tier. But again, it, that's a hefty price to pay uh, to get a wide receiver. Cause that's basically, if you, if you have a wide receiver too, you're basically saying you're willing to take him over guys like maybe like a mix in or even a Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, oh yeah. I, 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 I grant you that. I think Edwards Hilaire deserves to go above him, but like a guy like Adams, for example, and we had this argument on the last pot is, is yes, he gets all these targets, but it, Tyree Kill though, in 2017 and 18, 105 targets, 137 targets. Uh, 1100, almost 1200 yards the first time, almost 1500 yards the second time. He like Devontae Adams only has one a thousand yard season. Why? Because he's averaging like 11, 12 yards a catch. Like, the, like it's just it's it's like what's what good are all these targets if it's just it's like kind of just getting you to where a, a guy like Tyreek Hill is going to be with you know 40 percent less targets. And then if Tyreek Hill does like let's say Tyreek Hill does get eight targets a game or eight or nine targets a game the ceiling is like it's Michael Thomas without the, the, the same amount of targets. So like, that's how I kind of look at it with a guy like Tyree kill who has the Mahomes, you know, at quarterback. Uh, that, that question I asked, would you say that Amari Cooper's a wide receiver one? I almost a low end wide receiver one. He's a little different for me because I think he does have the quarterback. Um, but the thing with Cooper is, I don't know if he is the best wide receiver on his team. Oh, I don't know, stop I don't, it. I don't know stop if he's going to be. Chris, you're we, better than that. <laughs> no, seriously. I, listen, Amari <laughs> Cooper, when, I, when we say he's inconsistent, he's inconsistent in a whole other way, whereas like he actually played bad football. 
Whereas Tyreek Hill maybe had a couple of games where he had, you know, two catches or, or got hurt or left early. But like Amari Cooper has played bad football at times. He's been unable to catch touchdowns at times. He's been like, he's had games, like he had a game last year with like 12 targets and four catches for 24 yards. Like he's just been bad at, at, at times, which I can't say about Tyreek Hill. Okay, well, uh, a couple of things. One, I'm going to, uh, to break the tie by coming in here and saying that uh, Tyreek Hill and Amari Cooper are both top five fantasy quarterbacks. Two. No, oh, that is completely <laughs> wrong. That is just – that was just – Number two. Number two. Uh, it's almost as if we haven't had an entire other episode in which uh, we would have the opportunity to talk about uh, Tyreek Hill or Amari Cooper. Let's uh, move away from this wonderful – and very scintillating conversation to, uh, to talk about some of these wide receiver twos. So, Tags, I want to get your thoughts on the guys who are going outside of the top 12. But a number of these guys, either in previous seasons, have been wide receiver ones, or they look like they have the upside to move into that category by the end of this season. And so, you know, I'm looking at guys like Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., Juju Smith-Schuster, Calvin Ridley, a guy you really like, A.J. Brown, Cortland Sutton, Tyler Lockett, Keenan Allen, Robert Woods, DK Metcalf, DJ Shark, and Terry McLaurin. Out of those guys, who are the ones that you are really wanting to get on your teams? And then who are you looking to fade? Yeah, so Juju Smith-Schuster is definitely somebody that I wanted on my squads. Uh, I'm a little worried that Ben Roethlisberger came out and said basically he had like crazy major surgery that no one's ever come back from. That's definitely worrisome, but it helps that Juju Smith-Schuster is moving back into the slot, which is his natural role, that big slot receiver. With Deontay Johnson on the on the one perimeter side, then you're going to have either Chase Claypool or James Washington on the other side. Uh, but if, if his arm is affected, it's not going to affect Juju as much as it, as it might someone like James Washington because getting the ball down the field would be a lot more difficult, and Juju is just a guy that can create the catch. Uh, so I do like Juju quite a bit. I have him actually as a top 10 wide receiver in my rankings right now. Um, I might scoot it down just because there is some risk associated with Roethlisberger. Um, obviously, I, as, as, you guys, as you mentioned, I like Ridley and um, Odell Beckham. I mean, I understand he had a bad year, but if you look at that entire Browns team, they all had a bad year. Like, like legit, that offense was terrible. And if you go through, like, I, I pay attention to a lot of stuff like the next-gen stats, and if you could see the route trees that they're running, and, you, you know, you see Baker Mayfield getting stumped in the backfield. And obviously they've tried to fix that this offseason with the offensive line, but you see him getting stumped. And then you go look at next-gen stats, and you see every route that Beckham runs takes 15 yards down the field. And you're like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is common sense. It's like elementary. My, my 17-year-old daughter could do this stuff. Um, but Beckham was also, we found out, playing through a hernia. And if you go back, so Jarvis Landry, I think most people would say Landry had a much better year. Landry sucked with, with Baker Mayfield the first year they played together as well. If you guys remember, uh, Jarvis Landry had like 150 targets that year, and he barely cracked the top, tw I think he was maybe like 23, 24 wide receiver. He was not good. He was not efficient. It was kind of like Beckham. So it could be a thing growing chemistry with, with Baker Mayfield. And knowing that Jarvis Landry is still dealing with this hip thing, like he may not even, he might start the season on the pop. He might not play the first couple of games. I don't know what's going on, but this is a very concentrated wide receiver unit. Like you're going to have the two tight end sets, sure. Uh, but Odell Beckham is going to see 130 targets in this offense and he's going to be just fine. Uh, and knowing that he's legitimately on a, from a fantasy basis, game by game, he's like legit, like a top three receiver all time. Yeah. I mean, OBJ has a thousand yards receiving in five of his six years. Uh, it's, you know, pretty hard not to see how, um, he would have the at least the opportunity uh, or the, the talent to be able to, uh, to crack the top 12 by the end of the season. Uh, Corner, I want to kick it to you. Who are you into in this tier? 
Uh, I'm going to have to go with Calvin Ridley. I have him um, ranked 10th right now. Um, and it was honestly, it was a lot easier to take him earlier in the offseason when he was going around wide receiver 20. Um, I mean, every draft that he was available in the fifth round, I would scoop him up. So I had quite a bit of shares early on. Um, anytime he makes it to round four, I take him. Unfortunately, as Tags mentioned earlier, he's going uh, pretty early in the third in some drafts. So those are, those are leagues where I'm not getting him. I'm not going out of my way to get him necessarily. But, I mean, he, he fits the mold of, you know, like a Chris Godwin last year where you can get a guy entering his prime um, relatively cheap. Um, you know, going back to 1990, there's only been five receivers that scored 10-plus touchdowns the rookie season. That was Randy Moss, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Mike Williams, the Tampa Bay Mike Williams, and Calvin Ridley. And, I mean, he's a first-round talent. So, I mean, he has the pedigree that we, we expect him to be an elite receiver. He's shown that her, his first two seasons. And he's entering year three. And he's, he's a little bit of an older year three player. He's going to be turning 26 this year. Um, so I just love his upside. Um, you know, I took him at 100 to 1 to lead the league in receiving yards. And people kind of thought I was, you know, knocking Julio Jones. Not at all. I mean, I'm still projecting Julio Jones for 2,000 yards and six touchdowns like everybody else. Um, but, you know, it's going to be maybe this year. I, I, I would say next year that Julio definitely starts his decline. And Ridley's, you know, the type of guy that can step up and be the number one. So either way, I think he's, he's a smash top 10 um, value pick this year, and you can get him cheaper uh, than that. And the other guy is A.J. Brown. Um, I have him ranked in the top 12 as well, um, and he's being drafted wide receiver 17. And it's a bit weird. You know, I feel like a donkey taking a guy due for such regression, you know, as, in his efficiency stats. But, I mean, really his efficiency stats are off the charts because his volume was so low. Um, and I think we can expect his volume to, to increase this year, which will help offset that regression somewhat. So I still consider him, you know, a low-end wide receiver one um, with a ton of upside. So he's, he's another guy in this range that I've been getting a, a healthy amount of so far. Rayvon, who do you like here? So uh, I'll, I'll start this by saying I like pretty much all of this tier. I think this is a great tier to draft wide receivers from. But I'll talk about two guys that people don't seem to be too excited about. Uh, that I tend to get, you know, uh, half round below uh, their ADP that, that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, one is Cooper Cup and, and the other is Tyrell Lockett. Uh, both of these guys, uh, I consider their their team's number one targets. Um, Cooper Cup has two straight finishes of uh, top 12 uh, per game fantasy production. He was 11th in half PPR in 2018 before he got hurt. And then he was uh, eighth last year, fourth in, in overall points. Uh, some people are worried that, you know, Cup uh, was taken out of, of, of the game at some points down the stretch last year, uh, and it kind of coincided with Tyler Higby's big run. So maybe, you know, Cup is going to be de-emphasized. That is uh, – that's absolute just baloney. First of all, Cup is the centerpiece of that passing offense. Uh, he was coming off an ACL injury. Uh, it was late in the season. You know, it made sense to kind of get him out there. He was, he was putting up crazy numbers uh, for the entire year. He's Goff's best friend, essentially. Um, this guy is going to continue to to produce, I think, at a top 12 level, and you can get him outside the top 12. Uh, the Rams also uh, tend to throw a, a, a lot of uh, passes. They did last year, and, and I think they're going to continue to do that because the emphasis is on the short, quick game. You know, Cooks is gone. Uh, they drafted a guy who could replace Reynolds. So um, love Cup. And then Tyra Lockett, uh, you know, it, it's really the Lockett-Metcalf show in, in Seattle, but 
Uh, a lot of, some drafts I even see Lockett go after Metcalf. I think that's also silly. Tyra Lockett is like, uh, if you look at his uh, efficiency numbers, and again, like efficiency numbers only matter for certain receivers that I think um, are attached to an elite quarterback, Tyra Lockett being one of them. Um, this is a guy who, you know, caught 82 of 110 targets last year, 57 of 70 the year before. Um, you know, that, that catch rate is near Drew Brees, Michael Thomas level efficiency. And Tyra Lockett hasn't even scratched the surface in terms of, um, you know, his target ceiling yet. Uh, and, but, but Russell Wilson has thrown, you know, 30 touchdown passes in four of the last five years. You know, even if Lockett continues to be kind of uh, on the lower end in terms of volume among um, wide receiver ones, uh, I think that his ceiling is still so high um, and his floor is still going to be high enough. So. Uh, love Lockett, you know, 18 touchdowns over the past two years. That's directly due to, to Wilson. Um, and, and he's a guy that you can usually get uh, kind of in that mid-range wide receiver to uh, ADP, where I think his upside is also, you know, finishing top 10 as well. So uh, Lockett and Cup are my two guys. Tags, who are you looking to stay away from? Uh, you know, it, it's tough to say that I want to stay away from anybody in this round. Um, because I think that if, if there's value presented a Cooper cup at wide receiver 13, I don't think I'm paying that. Uh, I know in some drafts he's going to high. And then in some drafts he's falling to like wide receiver 22. I'll take him at wide receiver 22. So I'm not, I'm not like fading Cooper cup in general. The one that I don't own any shares of because his price is just too damn high. And I'm sorry, Sean is AJ Brown is just this offense, you know, over the last two years, they've thrown the ball under Mike Vrabel 432 and 448 times. It's a trend now. Like, it's, I'm not saying it's a given, but it's a trend. And even if we get up to 460 pass attempts or something like that, you start talking about a massive 25% target share, and you might get to 120 targets. You might. Like, that, that's how I feel. I feel like the ceiling for A.J. Brown is 120 targets. And I love A.J. Brown, the player. I really do. I just don't know if we can go off of such a small sample size with Ryan Tannehill and say that he's going to produce uh, week in, week out. And even, you know, once we got to the playoffs, A.J. Brown was essentially useless. Like, I remember using him in DFS thinking, all right, he's going to get the targets. And it's like there was two target games in there. And that's, that's just really frustrating uh, when you're going to spend – I mean, we're getting into the point where people are spending a third-round pick on him. Like, if I get him in, like, the fifth round, absolutely. I'm in on A.J. Brown. I think the risk is worth the reward there. I just – Fourth is like the one where it's like, okay, we could, we could, we could meet in the middle there, but third round, that's just way too high for me is all. Is there a point like, so this is brings up an interesting question. Like we, we all know that like volume is going to be the most predictive stat that we can use, yeah. you know, target volume, but within this big tier where all these guys are essentially either number one wide receivers for their team or number twos who get, you know, number one type volume, like a Metcalf or Ridley. Yeah. Um, Within that tier, it brings the question, like, as you guys kind of had this conversation, it brought to mind the question, should we be looking at efficiency more to differentiate the guys that are, that are similar in target volume? Because I, I get the point that, yeah, A.J. Brown is on the low end in terms of, like, his target expectation. But yet, you know, even, like, last year, um, you know, that being the case, you know, he, he didn't start the year really, you know, as a number one wide receiver. He just kind of took over uh, – you know, that role, he was still a guy that, that, that finished as a, a top fantasy, you know, one of the, the, the higher um, fantasy receivers. He had, a, a, you know, 52 catches for 1,051 yards, eight touchdowns, uh, another, one, another one on the ground. Tyra Lockett is similar, I think, in that sense, in that every year people kind of look at him and say he's not, there's not enough targets. Every year he puts up big numbers. I think even Tyreek Hill um, can be added to that conversation as well. So, like, where do you guys stand on, on kind of differentiating these guys within this same similar target tier? 
with efficiency numbers. That's a really good point. I mean, we have a, we have, so Doug Baldwin was efficient. Tyler Lockett's efficient. Every single Seahawks receiver, let's just be honest. Russell Wilson's really good. AJ Brown. And it's such a small sample size. That's the only reason that that's the only reason that I, I, th- I think I knock him down below these guys. But by the way, Matt, I, I wish I could just like go and return to this question. So I didn't argue with Sean. He's the last person I want to argue with. Keenan Allen. I didn't even realize he was in this tear this year. Keenan Allen is someone I will own zero of like, again, good football player terrible terrible situation uh Tyrod Taylor's never thrown the ball more than 437 times in a season you know even Sammy Watkins going back to him he made his living off big plays with Tyrod Keenan Allen slot receiver I just don't think there's gonna be enough volume for him in this offense like I have him down at like wide receiver 27 if I'm not mistaken yeah I mean absolutely I agree with you there he's someone I'm certainly looking to stay away from in this tier uh I mean I certainly prefer his teammate uh Mike Williams to him uh but uh Sean who are you staying away from here this one's kind of uh, tricky because I have Juju ranked wide receiver 11 and his ADP's wide receiver 15, but I'm, I'm still avoiding him because with him, he comes with the added, um, you know, downside where he, he definitely needs Big Ben to stay healthy for, I would say, 13, 14 games to hit value here. So, I mean, just he inherently has the lowest floor of this tier and it's not even his fault. Um, so, I mean, we saw that last year. It's not his fault. It's um, you know, Mike Tomlin's going to make the offense very conservative with Mason Rudolph or Duck Rogers under center. So, I mean, Juju's a borderline wide receiver three when that happens. So you, you have to factor that in. Um, having said that, if Big Ben is healthy all season, I, I think, you know, Juju has shown that he'll, he'll be able to put up wide receiver one numbers. I just think in this range, I'm not really taking risks like that. So I've been fading him quite a bit. And the only other guy uh, in this range that I, I've been avoiding just based on his ADP is Cortland Sutton. I mean, I love him as a player. I think he has a ton of upside, but they just added so many weapons in this offense. You know, a guy like Noah Fant is entering year two. Um, you know, you know, people are investing in Drew Locke because he has upside. I, I don't really know if we're going to see it this year. So he's essentially probably going to be spreading around 235 passing yards more. So, you know, Sutton's not going to be giving, getting as much of that. So I just don't see him being drafted you know, as a middling wide receiver too. So that's why I've been um, passing on him quite a bit, even though I do uh, get his upside. Raybone, what about you? Who do you dislike? Yeah, it, for me, it's Cortland Sutton. I, I kind of echo Sean's sentiments. You know, when I model out the, the all these receivers, they are all extremely close, but one that keeps coming out near the bottom or even, you know, outside of this tier completely is Cortland Sutton. Um, and, and I think that goes back to exactly what Sean said, you know, projecting these guys, you're going to start with the quarterback. That's why I'm higher on guys like like Tyra Lockett than most, uh, even Tyreek Hill maybe. Whereas with Sutton, we Drew Locke is a guy who averaged six and a half yards per Per attempt, he, he's a guy who, yes, he got some new weapons, but no saying that those weapons are going to have a, a, a you know, really increase what he's doing, his efficiency. You know, this could be kind of what he is. We really don't have a large enough sample. Um, and then some of just Sutton's underlying metrics. I mean, you know, he was on the field basically every route, um, every snap last year, needed a, a lot of route volume to put up the numbers he did. And he's always been a guy, like the criticism coming out of school with him is that he didn't win against, you know, top-tier competition, top-tier coverage. I've even read about, you know, the, they're in camp, they're talking about Sutton now now with these guys, Judy and Hamler and, and Fant going into year two, it is like let them cover Sutton so those guys can um, get open and, and, and let the defenses have to focus on him. So um, just kind of a lot of red flags with, with, with me with, with Sutton that I don't know if he can necessarily even replicate what he did last year. And, and even though he's a talented guy overall – I think there are some kind of some holes you can poke in his game. So, and I don't like the situation. So I've been avoiding him in that tier. 
All right, I want to talk about some of the rookies in this class. And uh, it connects with Cortland Sutton in a way in that, you know, some of the, uh, the negativity around him uh, has to do with the idea that the team just drafted two rookies. Obviously, you have Jerry Judy in the first round and then K.J. Hamler, who was drafted in the second round. But, uh, you know, really, you just look throughout this, uh, this rookie class one of the deepest rookie wide receiver classes in history. Uh, and, I mean, a lot of talent there, too. You have Henry Ruggs, who went in the first round. Then Judy, uh, C.D. Lamb, Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, all of those guys in the first round. And then the second round, you had T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, LaVisca Chenault Jr., Hamler, Chase Claypool, Van Jefferson, and Denzel Mims. All of those guys, in theory, could have significant playing time this year. Uh, and so the question is, Tags, with all of these rookies, on the one hand, you normally think that uh, there's upside with rookies. On the other hand, you have this COVID situation where a lot of them haven't been able to get the, uh, the offseason experience and practice with their quarterbacks. So how are you approaching uh, these rookie wide receivers? Yeah, it's going to be a lot tougher for them to come in and produce right away. So the only ones I look at, like Jerry Judy's the best wide receiver in this class, in my opinion. It's, I mean, like he was the, the number one, but he's not my number one in redraft though. Uh, the guys in redraft that I would be looking towards is teams that have no other alternate options. Uh, Henry Ruggs wasn't like crazy high on him, but he's going to walk into some targets. Like there's nobody else in that team. Like Tyrell Williams, I want to say there wasn't even a game last year where he had, he saw more than six targets. So they clearly don't want the ball going his way a whole lot. Uh, Ruggs, they're going to manufacture touches for him. When they select him over Lamb and Judy, uh, they're going to manufacture touches for him so he's someone to watch kind of like a I don't want to say Will Fuller uh, but like a guy that you could plug in from time to time as a wide receiver three in a game that you know the the, the Raiders are going to fall behind they're going to throw the ball a lot uh, I think he's going to be like a DFS favorite in tournaments but then Jalen Rager is quickly becoming someone that I might be the highest on uh, this year because the Eagles it seems like Alshon Jeffrey everything we hear about him is negative and that he's probably going to start the year on the pup list the Eagles they may cut him at some point. We don't even know. Deshaun Jackson, 34 years old, was never a high-volume wide receiver anyway. I mean, we saw someone like Greg Ward come off, literally just come off the street, have no experience, nothing, uh, with Carson Wentz, and he walks into fantasy production. Like, we were all using him in cash games and DFS. Rager, they chose him over Justin Jefferson. I mean, that's that speaks highly, because I thought Jefferson fit their offense very well. Uh, they've said nothing but good things about Rager in that he's come in and He's everything they expected him to be. He's going to line up all over the field. He's he's a guy that can't hit that big play because he has that 4-4 speed, maybe 4-3 if he dropped a little bit of weight. So uh, Rager's the one that I'm extremely excited about now because I don't think the Eagles have any other options at wide receiver. Sean, uh, what do you think of these rookies and who stands out to you the most? Yeah, I mean, like you guys said, I think that the COVID offseason could hurt them quite a bit. But overall, this this class is – extraordinary and you know all of them are being drafted as wide receiver four or five or six so um the fact that you're able to draft a rookie as your bench wide receiver is a huge bonus uh, because you know they're loaded with upside um the two that i'm gravitating to the most would be um cd lamb and uh henry ruggs um so you know cd lamb i had mixed feelings about his landing spot when it first happened um obviously he'll probably be the number three receiver on this offense but I do expect the Cowboys to run a ton of 11 personnel so I expect him to be you know running around over 80 percent of the time so you know he'll have the opportunity right away um, and let's face it he's you know uh, Michael Gallup or Amari Cooper injury away from being a rock solid wide receiver too potentially so um, he has more upside than anybody I feel um, given that situation um, and, and Henry Ruggs I think is another guy with a ton of upside he's probably the only guy on the list that's sort of the de facto number one right away. Um, and it was a bit shocking when the Raiders took him because, um, you know, he's considered more of a deep threat. And uh, Derek Carr averaged 
6.3 yards past the line of scrimmage on his past attempts last year, which is second lowest. So, you, you know, you're wondering why they drafted him, but maybe they didn't let him throw up deep because they didn't have a deep threat like him. Um, he certainly, he graded above average uh, in terms of catchable balls over 20 yards. So um, who knows, maybe they'll let him air it out more with rugs. But either way, I think he'll be the number two target on the offense behind Darren Waller, and he certainly has upside. So, you know, at his ADP of wide receiver 45, I, I've been getting quite a few shares of him just because he's, he's worth the risk there. Raybon, I know on this serious show, uh, we've talked about Henry Ruggs before, and I think you said that you think he actually has a pretty decent chance to uh, be the number one target within that offense. Uh, any thoughts on Ruggs or any of these other rookies? Yeah, for me, Ruggs is in a class by himself in terms of this rookie class. Like, first of all, with this whole COVID narrative about, you know, rookies are going to struggle, uh, I think it's it's probably true to some extent, but the, the issue I see is that people are starting to apply it across every receiver in, in generalizing. Um, and that really doesn't make sense. I think um, if, if we're, if we're going to dig into it a little deeper, uh, likely the one thing that you can't, that, that is not going to matter whether you're in camp or not is speed is athleticism. Defenses are going to be unprepared too. So a guy like Ruggs, he really stands out as a guy that, um, you know, as Tags mentioned, or, uh, or Sean mentioned, you guys can manufacture touches for him. Um, Tyreek Hill, his rookie year, averaged 9.7 yards per reception. Um, and, and he ran the ball 24 times in 16 games. Like, that's what I think you could see out of Ruggs if he's not going to be that traditional deep threat. So I think he's in a class um, by himself. I think some of the, the, more, the more technical guys, like a Judy, um, could struggle a little bit or, or start slower, not put up like fantasy difference making numbers. I, I think CD Lamb is a clear number two because of uh, Dak Prescott and the quarterback situation. And then some other guys that I think are worth drafting because again, like regardless of this narrative that rookies may struggle, the bottom line is they're mostly free. You know, they're going wide receiver four, five, six. So that risk doesn't matter at that point in the draft. You're looking for upside. Um, so, so Denzel Mims, a guy who I could see leading the Jets in air yards. Brandon Ayuk, um, you know, who could emerge as, as the, the number, you know, two target in San Francisco, given that Debo's status to start the year um, is up in the air. And then LaVisca Chenault, you know, Jacksonville, in my opinion, is wide open in terms of targets after DJ Chark. Uh, I don't think D.D. Westbrook is a guy that, they necessarily want to, to be giving, you know, seven targets a game uh, if there's somebody better. And I think Chenault is another guy they're going to um, kind of manufacture targets for. He's a guy that can line up in the backfield, do a bunch of different things. So um, those are the guys, uh, you know, wait, I've been taking flyers on Mims, Ayuk, and, uh, and LaVisca Chenault. Mike, as Raybon mentioned, most of these guys are – uh, going in that range where you tend to focus more on finding upside instead of minimizing downside. Uh, so maybe it's not the case that there's uh, a, a rookie that you're just destined not to take a guy that you're swearing off, but is there one of these rookie wide receivers that you are more pessimistic on uh, than other people? I am pessimistic. Chase, Chase Claypool, I don't think he plays uh, over James Washington. I, I really didn't understand the pick when they made it. Uh, I felt like he was a big tight end that was just a fast tight end, and then he moved to wide receiver, and uh, there's a lot of question marks surrounding him. Uh, he's someone that I want no part of in drafts. Like, I, I don't even want a flyer on him. Um, I guess you could 
I guess you could say the same thing about someone like LaVisca Chenault um, coming off the core injury. He had core muscle surgery. And I just don't know if he is going to play immediately over Chris Conley. I think he has an easier route, obviously, to get over Conley, uh, who's on a one-year deal, uh, than someone like Chase Claypool. But at the same time, like, those are the rookies I'm not touching. I'll take the guys that were drafted in the first round, take a shot on them. Brandon Ayuk, I mean, the 49ers without Debo Samuel for the first – you know, how many weeks um, there's going to be targets available in that offense, but it's a little scary because I just don't know if there's a consistent option there. So um, yeah, but I think Raybon's right in the fact that if you're building a team where you're looking for just pure upside on your bench, instead of taking guys like Golden Tate, take a guy like, you know, Ruggs, take a guy like Rager and, uh, and see what you have, because if they come out week one blazing, you're not, I mean, everybody's going to run to the waiver wire and they're going to grab them. So why not grab them and just keep them on your bench, see what you got. Rug starts week one with Carolina, which we all expect to be a pretty oh, yeah. bad defense. So that that's a guy that I'm I'm taking him is like about 10 picks higher than he usually goes. Like I usually take him in the late thirties at wide receiver um, where he usually goes in the mid forties. So, yep. Let's talk about some of these second year wide receivers. Uh, we've mentioned a couple of them, uh, AJ Brown in particular, but uh, you know, there are other guys who could end up really popping Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf. And then there are just a whole, I mean, a host of other guys uh and honestly uh i mean this rookie class uh is one of the best we've ever seen but the guys who were rookies last year they also did pretty well and so we have a lot of young up-and-coming wide receivers in the league right now you look at these second year players marquise brown miko hardman Debo samuel deontay johnson uh rayvon your guy darius slayton uh, and then some other guys who were highly drafted who haven't really popped yet, but, you know, maybe could take that step forward in their second season in Kill Harry, Paris Campbell, Jalen Hurd, Hunter Renfro, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, and Andy Isabella. Uh, Isabella particularly. I mean, I, I know it's not going to happen, just like the word fetch, but uh, I really want it to happen. Tags, who are you really interested in out of these second-year wide receivers? I mean, I love DK, but his price is going so high that it's really – I think he passed Tyler Lockett the other day uh, in terms of the ADP that we have on our site. So I always felt like the ceiling might have been higher with DK, but he wasn't the safer pick. And it was like, I'll take him as my wide receiver three. But now he's in wide receiver two range, so it's really difficult to love him at cost. But I, I don't think he's a bad pick. Deontay Johnson, I mean, he's a route runner. Um, he's going to be playing with Roethlisberger. I, I don't think – I don't think people should go off last year's numbers and judge uh, Juju or uh, Deontay Johnson. James Washington played uh, in college with Mason Rudolph, so there was a clear connection between those two. Uh, but Deontay Johnson, the Steelers are apparently ultra high on him. So, um, and then Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell, uh, T.Y. Hilton, over 30 years old now, dealing with injuries the last couple of years, struggling to stay on the field, now has a new quarterback. Shows up to camp with a hamstring injury, not practicing with Philip Rivers. I just think it takes time to develop chemistry with a quarterback. And if you're, even if it's just this little four weeks they have, you know, for training camp or whatever before the season starts, it's something. It's something to get on the same page. Uh, and if you can't do that, Paris Campbell is a bigger, stronger, faster version. Uh, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know if he's the, the football player that T.Y. Hilton is, but uh, Paris Campbell is a, is a physical specimen. So uh, I, I'd be looking for him as, again, one of those upside late picks, and you could find out what you have almost immediately. Corner, who do you like out of these second-year receivers? I mean, obviously, I mentioned uh, A.J. Brown. I love him. Um, Terry McLaurin, if you can get him as your wide receiver three, that's a steal. Um, as Tags mentioned, D.K. Metcalf, I, I, I love him, but his, his price is getting up there. Again, he has so much upside. You can't really fault people for uh, drafting him as high as they are right now. Uh, Marquise Brown and Michael Hardman are great best ball targets where they're going. Uh, but the one guy that I want to point out that I think has a, a two to three went two to three window potentially of a buy low is Debo Samuel. 
Um, his ADP is listed at wide receiver 33, but that's not actually where he's going right now. I've been in some drafts lately where he, he falls into the, you know, 40 to 45 range. Um, so, you know, obviously he's probably going to miss a couple of games due to his broken foot. Um, but when you're drafting a guy like that to go on your bench, you don't really need him those first couple of games anyway. And that's, that's typically the, um, the easiest time to replace players. Um, so I would normally be advocating to, to draft him where he's going right now. But I think that the secret upside that um, people maybe start to figure out over the next couple of weeks is, you know, there's a non-zero chance that this season gets delayed or, you know, they start week one on time, but then there's some sort of delay and week two is pushed back. Um, so anything like that is going to give his foot more time to heal and will lower, you know, the expected games were uh, expected to miss from him. And again, you know, I would put the chances of a delay, you know, around 15, 20%, but still that's, that's not really factored into his price right now. So I think it's a couple week uh, buy a low window for him. All right, Raybon, I know on the serious show, uh, you and I have had conversations about Debo. What are your thoughts on him and uh, anyone that you like, particularly in the second year class? Yeah, I'm not as bullish on drafting Debo. I'm generally not a person that's drafting a stash. I just think that there are guys going in that range still that can give you 16 weeks of, of upside. And, and especially with Debo having a foot injury, you know, I really – um, you know, don't know how he's going to respond to that. I don't think, you know, he's not a guy that we've seen, you know, kind of get hurt and come back from being hurt and produce. This is a low volume offense. So um, he's not a guy I'm like super excited about now that he's, he's hurt. I'd rather take my shot on, on IUK and getting kind of, you know, a, a little more value out of him even later, later in the draft. But I, I am excited about this, this second year class. And I think wide receivers making the jump from year one to year two, um, there's an across the board increase uh, of about 15 to 20% in production. So I think you start with the guys that were already productive last year. So I love DK Metcalf, you know, the quarterback situation is great. Um, he could be, you know, a, you know, uh, uh, just a, a, he could, he has top 10 upside. I think um, if, if, you know, things go right for him, just because he's such a downfield guy, 15 and a half yards per catch last year, um, Terry McLaurin, all he needs is, uh, you know, a slight uptick in, 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 in the quarterback play there. We don't, I don't know if we're going to get it, but he was still pretty damn good. Seven touchdowns, um, 919 yards in 14 games, even with a, a terrible situation. Uh, Brown, I love Darius Slayton as well. Um, he's that one guy in New York who's an air yards guy. Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard underneath guys. Evan Ingram's a tight end. Barkley is a high volume pass catcher, but he is a running back. Um, Slayton could weed the Giants in air yards, even if he is, let's say, the fifth target. Um, and those air yards are going to be very valuable at that point in the draft. But um, I think the guy I'm most excited about is, is Marquise Brown, because you're talking about a number one wide receiver, um, given number two target probably because Mark Andrews is there, but uh, on a team that is going to throw more, that threw at like a league low rate last year, with, and a quarterback who still led the league in touchdown passes. Uh, this guy is a – he's super fast. He started his career with a 128 – uh, uh, yard two touchdown game this is this is a, just a like it, it's like the writings on the wall for Marquise Brown to just blow the doors off uh, of 2020 so uh, love Marquise Brown I think Steven Sims is a late round sweeper now that Kelvin Harmon's out for the year um, you know he has some appeal in deeper leagues as well but um, I would really just look at all the guys who were productive last year um, start with them oh and Miko Hardman Miko Hardman is another guy like the, they're taking him off returns so he can focus on receiver. His quarterback's Patrick Mahomes. 
you have to cover like three other guys before you even remember that Hardman's on the field. <laughs> I mean, you talk about efficiency, like McCole Hardman, he's going as like the wide receiver 40 wide receiver 45. He could easily be like a, a top 25 receiver, just purely off efficiency on his like five targets per game. Uh, and you know, there's upside for more. So like, that's a guy I don't hesitate to take. I want McCole Hardman on every bench in every week. Yeah, certainly uh, I'm optimistic on Hardman. I'm with you there, Rayvon. And McLaurin out of, you know, I think they're like the three big guys uh, in this class, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, D.K. Metcalf, uh, as, as people, uh, you know, who could legitimately catapult themselves into the wide receiver one territory by the end of the season. And McLaurin out of those three is the guy that I tend to like the most. He was just so physically dominant last year. And especially now that Kelvin Harmon is gone, although I don't think Harmon was going to challenge for all that many targets anyway. But now that Harmon is out for the rest of the season, you just look at that depth chart. I mean, Steven Sims, Antonio Gandy-Golden, Trey Quinn, Cody Latimer, I don't think any of those guys is really going to challenge McLaurin for targets. They don't have an established tight end. Uh, all apologies to uh, Jeremy Sprinkle and, uh, you know, the dream of Logan Thomas. And then really they don't even have a, a established pass catching running back. I mean, maybe Antonio Gibson plays in that role, but it's just really hard to know who is going to challenge for targets on this team. So I look at McLaurin and I mean, I think he could have the chance for, you know, like a 26 to 28 percent market share uh, of the targets there so there's a lot of upside with McLaurin so he's the guy I like the most out of these second year wide receivers uh, tags out of these guys anyone that you were looking at and you're just like you know what I know I shouldn't judge anyone after just one year of action but uh, I feel pretty confident that this player is not going to make it in the NFL and like a year from now will be cut uh, I don't know if Hunter Renfro will be cut, but I don't like him. Um, like, you know, the Raiders kind of told us everything we needed to know. They basically want to replace everybody in the lineup. And I know everybody talks about the yards per route run that he had, but it was all made up on a couple touches. Uh, Renfro is, he's that short area wide receiver that's going to play the slot uh, heavy. And then you get Lynn Bowden on the offense. You get Ruggs, who I know he's he's dubbed as a, as a deep threat guy, but he's really a guy that, like, Jerry Judy was more of a deep threat than Ruggs was in college. It's just you want to get the ball in his hands on slants, on screens, on end arounds. Uh, and then they're, they're talking about getting Josh Jacobs more involved. Darren Waller is still involved, like, quite a bit. So you start looking for targets, and you're like, Hunter Renfro, is, he's the definition of just a guy. He is just a guy. Um, so he's someone that, you know, I – uh, in dynasty if you can get rid of him for something i would do that right now um but yeah he's definitely the one that on this list that i'm looking at and i'm like nah jj arthago whiteside probably belongs in there too but uh i'd rather take my chances on andy isabella making a splash than uh, renfro okay as long as you didn't disparage uh andy isabella i'm, I'm good with whoever <laughs> it is that that you want to say you're down yeah. on um, i want to talk about some of these wide receivers who are either on new teams or with new quarterbacks because uh, there are a number of these guys. Uh, we talked about Keenan Allen a little bit earlier. Stefan Diggs, uh, certainly in this category, and, and he's an intriguing one to talk about. Uh, you have Tyler Boyd, uh, obviously with the new quarterback in Joe Burrow. Julian Edelman, uh, obviously new quarterback situation for him in New England. Brandon Cooks, T.Y. Hilton, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson. Uh, out of any of these guys, who stands out to you? Because obviously uh, that chemistry that receivers have with their quarterback is something that uh, is pretty important in this COVID offseason. It's going to be harder for the wide receivers to develop that chemistry. 
any of these guys that you look at and think, you know what, I still think that this is someone who has the potential for a lot of upside and he's being underdrafted right now. And Tyler Boyd got an upgrade in quarterback. Um, can we say that about anybody else? I mean, Deontay Johnson. Hilton, Hilton got upgraded in quarterback. Yeah, I would say so too. But, I mean, it's not like a massive – like Rivers didn't look great last year. Roethlisberger we have some question marks about. Emmanuel Sanders, yeah, Drew Brees, like that's cool. But it's still Michael Thomas's team. Um, but I'd say Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd, you know, like a lot of targets in that first year of that offense. He knows the offense and now going to Joe Burrow. I mean, I, I am like literally when I do my projections, I'm sure you guys have those teams where you sit down and you're like, I am being, I am 100% trying to be like as low as possible. Like I know I'm high on AJ Green. Uh, so I tried to like suppress expectations for Burrow too. Like the entire offense they just present so many problems. If Zach Taylor can actually call an offense, like, you know, I, last year he was kind of screwed. He, like, you know, there were so, so many things that went wrong. If he can call an offense, this team presents so many issues on the field, it's not even funny. Um, even, even with John Ross, who's one of my favorite, like, last picks in a draft, you just put him on there because I don't think T. Higgins starts right away. All right, one guy I'm a little bit interested in here, Sean. Uh, Julian Edelman, would it be possible to say that he got an upgraded quarterback? Now, obviously – Cam Newton is not going to have the chemistry with Edelman that Tom Brady did. But at this point in their careers, it is possible that Newton might actually be the better quarterback. That doesn't mean that's actually a good thing for Edelman. But how do you think Edelman is going to do in this new situation in New England? It's possible, but I'm not betting on it. I was going to say this earlier, but Nikhil Harry is the guy that I'm fading in year two. And a big part of that is, you know, he failed to separate in his rookie season, I think that's going to be a consistent issue for him going forward. The good news is I think Cam Newton is a good fit for him. Cam always ranks pretty highly on the next-gen stat for aggressiveness, so he's willing to fit the ball in tight windows. So I think that's actually going to help Nikhil Harry. Again, I'm not going to draft him because he's going uh, right around way better high upside or high four option. So I'm really not getting many shares of Edelman or Harry, to be honest. Um, uh, as, as, you know, Tag said, I think Tyler Boyd, Certainly gets an upgrade at quarterback um, with Joe Burrow. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, huge upgrade with Drew Brees. And, you know, yes, this is Michael Thomas's team, but they haven't really had a consistent number two option. So I think he will provide that. So he, I think he's worth drafting as current ADP. And, and the one guy that I don't think it even matters what guys uh, under center would be Anthony Miller. I think either way, he's going to be the number two uh, target in this offense. And people seem to forget last year, I mean, he had a slow start because he was dealing with an ankle injury, and I think he had a shoulder injury pop up. Um, so you didn't really see uh, until the second half, you know, Anthony Miller's ceiling. So I think he's going to continue that heading in this year. I think he's, the, he's one of the best uh, late-round high-floor picks you can make. Raymond, one guy uh, who stands out to me on this list is Brandon Cooks, who uh, has really had a, a Hall of Fame group of quarterbacks throwing to him. I mean, let's take out Jared Goff. But, you know, <laughs> uh, you could do worse than Jared Goff throwing to you. Uh, and now he has Deshaun Watson throwing to him after starting his career with Drew Brees and then having a season with Tom Brady. Uh, Brandon Cooks has kind of uh, made a living out of getting used to catching passes from, uh, you know, new quarterbacks. And Watson – incredibly talented and there are going to be targets available because DeAndre Hopkins is no longer there. What are your thoughts on Brandon Cooks in Houston? I like Cooks' upside because I've been very vocal about a guy we didn't even mention yet, but Will Fuller. I think everyone should draft him in the seventh round or, or, or wherever he's going because by that time you have your three wide receivers, you have your you know kind of starting lineup, your running backs, your flex, whoever. And Will Fuller is a guy who, you know, has put up, 200-yard game, 
last year, a guy who's averaged a half a touchdown per game since Watson was drafted, a guy whose median routes run percentage per dropback um, for his team last year was 95%. So, you know, if he doesn't get hurt some of those games, you know, this is a guy who's on the field every snap. Four and a half catches per game with Hopkins there, a guy who's averaging 10 targets per game. Fuller has amazing upside. To a lesser extent, because I think Fuller is the better player, he has the rapport with Watson, but to a lesser extent, the same applies to Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks had a down year. The, the Rams couldn't get the ball down the field. He struggled with some, some injuries and kind of being in and out, in and out of games as well. Um, but, but he has that same kind of upside uh, that Fuller does. And if Fuller indeed, you know, continues to miss games, Brandon Cook slides into that spot. And you have a true slot receiver now in Randall Cobb, which means like, Kenny Stills is not going to be on the field quite as much which means the air yards are going to be highly focused, I think, on Fuller and Cooks. So uh, Deshaun Watson air yards, as we've seen in the past, are extremely valuable. So, um, yeah, I like Cooks a lot. Uh, I also like, I, I like buying on T.Y. Hilton. I think, you know, this is a guy, he's, he's probably always going to be banged up, um, you know, for, for his entire career. But he's an incredibly consistent guy when he's on the field. And I think Philip Rivers actually changes a lot for him compared to, Jacoby Brissett we saw Hilton's like worst seasons usually with um you know Brissett or just some non-Andrew Luck um you know quarterbacks Philip Rivers even though he's going to throw some picks he's still a guy that um can throw at a high volume in a game which is something they weren't willing to do with Brissett um and and he's going to pepper you know we've seen him pepper his number one receiver with targets um in in a guy like Keenan Allen in, in in LA and San Diego so I like buying on T.Y. Hilton as well. I think he, he, he goes a little too low. He's getting lost in there where he has that, that top 10 upside as well. If, if Rivers um, and the Colts end up being kind of a more higher volume pass team than we think because, you know, their schedule is uh, – I believe Sean has it ranked the easiest, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, they could be a little on the running heavy side, but um, I still like Hilton's upside uh, as well. Rayvon, I should say that you anticipated me by mentioning uh, Will Fuller because uh, we have a list of wide receivers here who uh, are dealing with injuries or have some sort of injury tag that's normally attached to them. And Fuller, for me, is uh, at the top of this list. And I'd say on this list you have you know, Juju Smith-Schuster was uh, injured for a lot of last season. I think that's part of why he had uh, such a down year. A.J. Green is obviously on this list. Uh, Jarvis Landry has some injury concerns right now. Brandon Cooks uh, also with Fuller has some issues uh, with concussions. So that's another injury issue with the wide receivers on that team. Uh, Hilton is dealing with the soft tissue injuries. Uh, We talked about Debo Samuel uh, earlier. Preston Williams is a guy who stands out on this list. And then also Deshaun Jackson uh, is someone interesting. Alshon Jeffrey, Mohamed Sanu, two guys I don't really have any interest in. Honestly, I don't know why I put them on the outline. Uh, I mean, for all, all the, the Jay Sternberger, the Jay say, Sternbergers for, for all, of this the, all the Jay Sternberger talk that we have, these two guys really don't deserve to be on the outline. But Fuller, out of all of these guys who have some injury issues, uh, is the one who stands out to me. Uh, and so, Tags, I kind of want to get your general thoughts on Will Fuller. And then also, I should say, uh, I'm looking at a book right now, uh, and I noticed that Will Fuller has 80 to 1 odds to lead the league uh, in receiving. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, how much of your total income are you putting into that bet? Uh, 80 to 1, I mean, it's not the worst bet in the world. There's definitely a lot worse ones out there, but I am not betting on Will Fuller's health. That ain't happening. Uh, so I might, I might if, if somebody gives you 80 to 1 odds, what's the Dwight Schrute quote, uh, quote that he has? If someone gives you 10,000 to 1 odds, you take it or something like that. Like, it's not quite that far, but you know, I'll take five bucks on it. 
<laughs> but yeah. in, in reality, most of the time with, with wide receivers with injury, it's funny that we bring up Cooks and Fuller. I struggle ranking those two. Like, I don't know which one to put higher because obviously Fuller has been a guy that's consistently missed games. And then when you look at the roster construction that the Texans have done, I started to wonder if they were going to trade him uh, just because like he's in the final year of his rookie deal and bringing in Brandon Cooks and then having a multitude of slot receivers that they had out there. It just, none of it made sense. And then they were looking into Antonio Brown reportedly. So I was like, are they moving on from Fuller? Um, so it, it's really difficult. I, I have to say Fuller because he obviously has experience in the offense. He has shown he can he can work uh, with Deshaun Watson. Um, but I generally like players coming off injuries, um, like not the same year. Like so, I'm staying away from guys like Ty. I'm staying away from guys like Debo um, because like eight, like uh, Alshon Jeffrey. I stay away from them just because I worry, like even Jarvis Landry coming off the hip surgery, those guys I worry about. I kind of learned my lesson with that because I was telling people to take the discount on AJ Green last year. Um, Oh, he's only going to miss a one to three weeks. And then obviously we know what happened from there. Um, But the guys that were injured last year, people are almost expecting, they're just calling them injury prone just to say it. Um, I, I'll take the discount on those players because the, the discount basically that you're getting, it already, it bakes in the risk that you have to injury. And obviously there's going to be replaceable players this year. So um, I generally like buying players uh, that are lessened their price off injury because like Brandon Cooks, there are only, I think like nine wide receivers who have finished top 24 at least four times in the past five years. The, the list is Julio Jones, Mike Evans, Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, Devonte Adams, Brandon Cooks, and Amari Cooper. Like Brandon Cooks, is the only one there that's not like being considered as a startable wide receiver in fantasy for whatever reason. And he's done it with a lot of different quarterbacks and we, we can't pretend that Deshaun Watson's a really downgrade uh, from Jared Goff. So uh, I'm definitely down to uh, buy some players off of injury. If okay, Watson well, finishes a, to- a top five fantasy quarterback, put up like top five numbers every year of his career, nobody in his offense is going in like the top 20. David Johnson even is like the, the closest thing at running back. None of his pass catchers are like going 35, 36 at wide receiver. Randall Cobb somewhere in I think the 60s or 70s. Think about that. Like if there's an offense that's undervalued, it's going to be Houston. Sean, I want to know, Will Fuller, 80 to 1. I mean, am I, uh, am I being too optimistic here? Yeah, I mean, I'd rather have Ridley at 100 to 1. This market is all about ceiling. So yeah, you're betting on him staying healthy. I would say, you know, 15 games. He's got to play at least 15 games. So I, I can get behind the number. It's, it's a thing where... If he gets hurt, oh, well, you kind of expect it to lose anyway. So a market like that that's based on ceiling, Fuller's the perfect kind of guy to target. Yeah. Uh, out of these injury-prone guys, or I'm wrong, wrong word there, not injury-prone, but out of these, uh, these injury-issue guys, uh, out of, besides Fuller, who stands out to you, Sean? Well, I already mentioned him, uh, Debo Samuel, and I want to clarify, you know, Rayvon made it sound like I'm excited to draft him. I'm absolutely not excited to draft the guy that has a broken <laughs> foot, okay? It's more about, like, nobody wants him, so he's falling to this range where it's like, okay, I think I can make the playoffs in most of my leagues with Debo Samuel on my bench, and then when I get to – second half of the season was I, when I expect him to um, be healthy again. Um, when I'm in the playoffs, I'm going to have this wide receiver two, three guy – that I was able to get in the wide receiver 40 range. That's the way I treat it. I, I'm fully expecting him to miss time. But like I said, this season's weird, and we could get the, the start date pushed back, and that's going to allow him more time to heal. So that's, that's sort of the hidden upside with him. Preston Williams and Deshaun Jackson are some of the guys who are catching my eye here. What do you think about them? Yeah, I've been, Jackson's the guy I've been drafting everywhere. 
Um, and, and I started doing it when he, you could still get him like outside the top 50. So I'm happy about that because he is moving up. I, I think that, and, and I think Tags mentioned it, Jax has never been a high volume guy, but he's kind of been kind of like a, a poor man's, I think, version of Tyreek Hill in terms of like the targets. Like he can get to like six, seven a game. Um, and in this offense, I don't think he has to. I think he can lead. I project him to lead this team in air yards. Like if everyone stays healthy, um, even if Jeffrey stayed healthy, I would, pre- I would expect Jackson to lead them in air yards. And I'm looking for air yards, weight in drafts. I'm not looking for guys that I could pencil in for like four catches a game because you're average, those guys are averaging like you know, 10, 11 yards per catch. And I don't see the upside of, of them jumping guys and giving me value by jumping guys who are, were drafted earlier. So I'm targeting air yards almost exclusively once I have my, my starting roster, which can be comprised of whoever. Um, but Jackson, I think, is, is a great pick. And I think Preston Williams is too. Um, we got word that he's ca- kind of ready to go. This is a guy who um, was just as productive uh, as Devontae Parker when they were both healthy. Miami doesn't really have a clear-cut guy outside of Parker that you'd say he's going to demand targets. Jan Gailey has never built his offenses around tight ends, so I worry a little bit about Gasicki unless they're going to use him as a big slot versus like a traditional tight end. But Preston Williams, you know, Gailey's offenses have always kind of highlighted wide receivers. And you, you may remember Marshall and Decker had these big years, um, you know, kind of two big guys um, having big years once Gailey came over there. So um, I wouldn't kind of rule out like a dark horse Preston Williams, just like difference making season um, as a guy you could get essentially for free. So, um, you know, Jackson and Williams, I say scoop them up along with McCole Hardman and, 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 uh, and Henry Ruggs late. Okay, Tags, I want to uh, get your thoughts on Antonio Brown and or Josh Gordon. Uh, There's been news, you know, we've talked about him on the show. I know Rayvon's over there rolling his eyes, uh, Mm -hmm. but there has, you know, been some recent news that the Seahawks, or I believe the word was like monitoring the situation with uh, Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon. Any thoughts on these guys? Are they worth any late flyers or are you just staying away from them? I'm staying away. They're just going to handcuff you in your roster. I, it was the same reason I told people not to draft Kareem Hunt last year. It's like he wasn't going to be back until week 10. Um, it just it, – it holds you back because, like, guys like A.J. Green last year with me, like, it, it handcuffed me. And I didn't want to drop other upside guys in my roster that I knew had a shot. And uh, this year, more than ever, you're going to need some backup running backs in your bench in case your starting running back is held out due to a virus or a fever or whatever the case may be. So um, – you have to be deep at positions and knowing Antonio Brown, he's suspended for at least eight games. He's not even appealing it. Um, that's a problem. Josh Gordon, I think has a better chance obviously with pot becoming legal and all that stuff. So um, he, if you want to take a shot on Josh Gordon with your final pick or something like that, you can hold on to him week one and, and you can cut him if he, if he doesn't make a roster. Um, but <clears throat> someone like Antonio Brown, absolutely not. Ray Bond, don't even do it. All right, Mike. <laughs> Gordon's washed. Like Josh Gordon was on a team. He was on the Seahawks last year. I said he, no. He, he did I said nothing. No. <laughs> he did nothing. Just forget it. All right, Mike, uh, what do you have going on at Fantasy Pros? Basically, just make sure you check out all my work there. Uh, I've been working, and I, I do the primer in season. It's a, it's a paragraph on every player from every game. It's like 35,000 words a week. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, but I'm putting together a draft version of that. So it'll be uh, the primer, the draft day version. Uh, it'll be out within probably a week, week and a half, uh, so that it'll, it'll be ready for your guys' fantasy drafts. It kind of goes through and talks about all that stuff. So that's where I put my heart and soul into. Uh, and thank you guys for inviting me on. It's always fun to talk with you guys. Yeah, always a pleasure to have you on the show. 
You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Tagliere NFL in our next NFL episode where we'll break down the top 12 running backs. Keep an eye out for that. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker, Chris Rabon and Matt at the Oracle. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show and listen and download on Spotify. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.